An elderly couple, husband and wife, were having trouble. Oh, this thing's falling apart. You anybody know a handyman that could fix this? I hope it stays together for the next 30 minutes anyway. <laughs> I'm going to stay away. <laughs> this older couple was having trouble remembering things. So they decided that the best thing they could do is to go to their doctor and get checked out to make sure that something wasn't significantly wrong. The doctor said that often when you get too many things on your mind, you have trouble remembering the important things. So he suggested that they might want to start making notes to help them remember those things. So they turned, they thanked him, they left. That evening, they're sitting in the living room and they're watching television and the man gets up from the chair and he says to his wife, um, or his wife says to him, where are you going? He says, I'm going to the kitchen and I'm going to get some ice cream. She said, will you get me a bowl of ice cream as well while you're there? He says, sure. She says, don't you think you should write that down so you'll remember it? No, I can remember that, he says. Well, she goes, I'd like some strawberries on top. You'd better write that down, otherwise you'll forget. He goes, no, 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 I got it. I can remember, ice cream, strawberries. Okay, one more thing. I want some whipped cream on top of those strawberries. Don't you think you should write that down? He goes, no, no problem, I got it. Ice cream, strawberries, whipped cream. 20 minutes later, he returns. He's got a plate of bacon and eggs. She stared at him for a moment, and she, and she said, I knew you were going to mess it up. You forgot my toast. <laughs> so how's your memory? We use our memory every day for simple things, for complicated things, for things that are significant, for things that are less significant. Matter of fact, if our memories are not working well, if a person can't recall the normal things of life, we often say that they are beginning the stages of Alzheimer's or have some sort of dementia. Well, if memory is essential for daily living, just coping with the daily activities of life, how much more important is memory for spiritual living? Put another way, why do we need to remember Jesus. That's what we're here for this morning, to worship him, and we're going to have, spend some time around the Lord's table, and it's in remembrance of him, and it says, remember Jesus. I mean, aren't we believers? How in the world can you forget Jesus? But throughout scripture, we're reminded to remember Jesus. So my goal this morning is simply to give you a broad brushstroke overview of what I call a theology of remembrance. There are over 250 references in the Old and New Testament to the word remember or memory. The first one is found in Genesis chapter 8, and the last one is found in Revelation chapter 18, so it's going to take us a while to cover all of those, so I hope you brought lunch. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1, God remembered Noah. And the last reference to remembrance is in Revelation chapter 18 and verse 5, where it said, God remembered the iniquities of Babylon. 
sandwiched in between those are a number of texts that we remember, if you will. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 19, it says, God remembered Hannah. In Exodus chapter 2 and verse 24, it says, God remembered the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Or the words from the thief on the cross who asked Jesus to remember him when he entered his kingdom. Or Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12, which is quoting Isaiah 45, where the writer says, God states, I will remember their sins no more. What does it really mean to remember? I mean, let's see if we can get a working definition, and then we're going to look at some texts in Scripture to develop that thought. I mean, because the reality is we use memory for two different things in our lives. Sometimes it's simply the recalling of a pleasant event. Sometimes it's a negative event, but it's simply a a memory of something that happened in our past. When Linda and I first started to date, I discovered that she had free 50-yard line seats to Texas Stadium. And I thought, we can go for free and sit on the 50-yard line on the 25th row behind the cowboy bench. I remember that. (laughs) I remember those days of sitting there and there's incredibly pleasant memories. I remember our wedding day and the joy of going through that experience. Those are pleasant memories. However, we also use memory to help us do things that need to get done. We use memory for the meeting that's coming up at the doctor's appointment at two o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. I also remember my anniversary. And it's much more important that I remember my anniversary than my wedding day. Because that determines I have some actions I need to take care of. Things I need to do as a result of that memory. When God remembers, and when he asks us to remember, is he simply saying have a pleasant memory about? Or is he asking us to do something in light of that memory? When God remembered his covenant with Abraham, for instance, did God go, you know, that was really well written. Maybe I should write a few more covenants because I like the way that one sounded. Or was God saying when he remembered that covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he acted on behalf of what he had written or had inscribed for the nation of Israel and acted on their behalf? What do the scriptures mean when it says remember Jesus? I want you to turn to your Bibles if you have them or just listen if you will. Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're going to look at some illustrations in scripture about the value of remembering. And what I want you to see as we go through this is the what they are to remember and why they are to remember it. What they are to remember and why they are to remember it. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, is in the middle of the second edition of the Ten Commandments. Um, That is, he's giving this to the nation again because 40 years have passed since the last time. Uh, This is a new generation. This is the generation that's born in the wilderness. And he says to them in verse 15, in the middle of 
the reminder of the Ten Commandments, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath. What were they to remember? He says, I want you to remember that you were enslaved in Egypt. Now, had they personally been enslaved? No. But their parents had. Their grandparents had. They didn't experience it. But they needed to know and be recalled the reality of that experience. Why? Why in the world would God call them to remember slavery? What's the value of that? Was that just for this generation to be able to say, wow, thank goodness I wasn't there? Was it to bring a sense of contempt for the nation of Egypt? Why was it important for them to remember their slavery and then the redemption that it produced? Therefore, therefore, the Lord commanded you to observe the Sabbath. What in the world is the connection between the Sabbath and remembering slavery and redemption from the nation, for the nation of Israel from Egypt? Why is there a connection there? Well, without going into a long, detailed dissertation about the Sabbath, let's give a brief summary and recognize that the Sabbath was a special day. It was a special day that God created or instituted, would be a better terminology, for the nation of Israel in light of the model that he had set in creation. For six days, God worked and created, and on the seventh day, he rested. Then he calls this people to himself who are going to model what it is to follow God, to be his people. And he said, in light of the example that I've set, here's the example that you set for the nations around you. You work for six days, and on the seventh, it's a Sabbath day. By definition, it's a day of rest. It's a day of reminder that God provides. It's a day of reminder that God sanctifies. It's a day of refreshment for the soul. In our terminology today, we'd call that a day of worship. So the nation of Israel is to remember what God has done in rescuing them out of Egypt so that they would celebrate the Sabbath well. They would see the connection. Of course, some of you are sitting here saying, what in the world is the connection for us? I mean, we weren't enslaved in Egypt. We're not Jewish. No, but we were enslaved. Prior to coming to faith in Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Just as the nation of Israel had no way to escape their enslavement in Egypt, in and of themselves, so we have no way of escaping our enslavement to sin in and of ourselves. Dead people do not rise up unless there's an act from the outside that causes them to come alive. And we were enslaved to sin. And if we fail to remember that we were once enslaved to sin, then what happens is we fail to remember the depth of the grace and the love of God for us. We minimize what Christ has accomplished on the cross because we think we could have done this ourselves and we are thankful for Jesus' help, but we're pretty good people. We're not that bad. 
And when we fail to remember that we were enslaved and therefore fail to remember the depth and the grace of God for us in rescuing us, we fail to worship well. Because worship then becomes about us. Becomes about what I want. The music that I like. The styles that meet my fancy. When biblical worship is about God's glory. It's about declaring his worth. It's about recognizing his character. It's his majesty and his glory. To worship well, we need a good memory. We need a good memory of the both of the fact that we were sinners, dead in our trespasses and sins, and that God has redeemed us and rescued us and set us free, as we've already sung about earlier in the service. When Christ sets us free, you're free indeed. A good memory leads to good worship. Turn over a couple pages, Deuteronomy chapter 7. And notice again what God calls them to remember. Verse 17, Deuteronomy chapter 7. If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them. You shall well remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials which your eyes saw and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out so shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. This new generation is about to encounter enemies that from their perspective appear bigger, more experienced, and more capable from a military perspective than they've ever encountered before. So notice what God tells them to remember. Remember what God did Remember what God did to Pharaoh. Remember the plagues. Remember the signs and the wonders that you heard about from your parents. Remember the crossing of the Red Sea and the destruction of the Egyptians. Remember God's great power. Remember God's majesty. Remember God's glory and all of what he has done for you in this context of rescuing you. Why? So you won't be afraid of the enemies you're about to face. So he says in verse 18, you shall not be afraid of them. Verse 21, you shall not dread them. Why? Because the Lord your God is in your midst, the great and awesome God. The great and awesome God. The reason they're to remember who God is and what God has done is to help them overcome their fear. But it's more than that. It's to encourage them to stay at the task of possessing the land. Notice what he says in verse 22. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. Ah, shucks. I was hoping that God would say, the Lord your God will clear these nations away in one fell swoop. Wouldn't that have been easier? Wouldn't that have been more majestic? Wouldn't that have been safer for everybody? If God said, sit back, watch me. But he says, the Lord your God will clear away these nations little by little. You will not be able to put an end to them quickly. That burst their bubble. 
because the wild beasts will grow too numerous. That's an interesting phrase. But the Lord your God will deliver them before you and will throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. He will deliver their kings into your hands so that you will make their name perish from under heaven. No man will be able to stand before you until you have destroyed them. Do you see the connection between God delivering and them destroying? God says, I'm going to do this, but you need to be obedient and faithful in following my directions in destroying these enemies. And the only way you're going to do that is if you remember who I am. If you remember what I've already done, you remember my faithfulness, my power, my majesty, my glory. The nations are not going to run away and disappear. So you're going to have to work at it to push them out one by one. And you're thinking, well, what is it? again, what does that have to do with me? We don't have a mandate to overrun nations or to deal with people that destroy them. No, but we do have a mandate to deal with sin in our lives. Paul writes to the believers in Ephesus, put off the old man. Put off the things that keep you from being faithful to me. Put those things away. And he makes a list of those things. Or as Paul writes to Timothy, he says, discipline yourself for godliness. Work at becoming more mature. Develop the spiritual habits that will help you to grow in a deeper relationship with Jesus. We will only work at that task to deal with the sin in our lives and to develop disciplines of godliness when we remember what God did in our salvation and the power and great glory that he displayed in taking dead people and raising them up and giving us new life and placing us into his kingdom and into his family and seating us into the heavenly places in Christ and giving us every spiritual blessing. We will only deal with sin when we remember what God has accomplished with great power and glory in our lives. Who in the world conquered sin? Who defeated Satan? Who lives in us? Jesus. Who also said in the world, you're going to have tribulation or summarize, sometimes life is hard. We all encounter difficulty. But Jesus has already overcome the world. Therefore, when you remember who he is and what he's done in your salvation, keep whacking away at the sin in your life. Little by little, day by day, slowly but surely, develop disciplines of godliness that help you to grow. Why? Because a good memory leads to maturity. A good memory helps you to worship. A good memory leads to maturity. Turn to Joshua chapter 4. We had a new generation in Deuteronomy, and when time you get to Joshua chapter 4, you have a new challenge. God so values remembrance for us that he provides visual aids. I'm convinced that the feasts that God gave to the nation of Israel were designed to be visual aids to help him remember who he is and what he's done. And in this particular case, in Joshua chapter 4, God's visual aids is a pile of stones. I want you to take these stones, pile them up, so that when 
people walk by in the generations to come and someone in that group says, why in the world is there a pile of stones over there? Someone will say, that's the time when God demonstrated his power, his faithfulness to his promises, and his grace and goodness to his people because we crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. We need to remember what God has done. So you have a pile of stones. He says in chapter four, verse one, when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua. Take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one from each tribe, and command them saying, take up for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm. Carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. So Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said, cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Here's your visual aid. Here's your reminder. Remembrance is so important to our faithfulness to God that God gives visual reminders for the nation. So he says at the end of the chapter, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and so that you will feel the Lord forever. That you will continue to be obedient to God. That you will continue to be faithful to God because God has been faithful to you. You must remember God's character and his faithfulness and his acts on your behalf. Here's a visual reminder. God knows how important remembering is to our spiritual health. He also knows how prone we are to forget. It's easy for us to forget. You go to the store to get four items and you come back with three. Or you come back with four, but it really isn't the four you were supposed to get in the first place. We are all prone to forget. I said to the first service folks, because most of them are a little bit older, I said, we've all walked into a room with an intended purpose and then thought, what am I here for? Because we all forget. Most of what we forget is relatively inconsequential. But when we forget Jesus, that's when we're in trouble. Because when we forget Jesus, we no longer act on his behalf, we act on our behalf. And when we act on our behalf, we act in unbelief and sinful behavior. The clear evidence of that is at the end of the book of Joshua and the beginning of the book of Judges when it says a new generation arose that did not know the Lord their God and every man did what was right in his own eyes. When we fail to remember, intentionally remember who God is and what God has done, we end up doing what's right in our own eyes. To the nation of Israel, God said, remember. Remember what I've done. And he's given them illustrations. I've just given you three. You can research and get more. But what does all of this have to do with communion? Because it's about remembering, isn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
I mean, what are the key words that we use every time we celebrate the Lord's table? Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. There's no particularly prescribed time, by the way. Our tradition is on the first Sunday of the month. But it's not the prescribed time that's issue. It's whenever. It could be done once a week. It could be done once a quarter. It's not when. It's how and what. Do this in remembrance of me, says Jesus, whether it's the body or the blood, do it in remembrance of me because, notice verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is a visual proclamation of the death, resurrection, and return of Christ. It's a proclamation. It's not just designed to create a nice memory. It's designed to create obedience. Remember, because this is a proclamation of the death, resurrection, and return of Christ. And focus your mind on the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Did you ever stop and ask yourself why it's so important for us to focus on the physical body of Christ during communion. I mean, sometimes we do something for so long and in such a long tradition that we really don't think too much about why. Why does he say, this is my body, which is for you? Do this in remembrance of me. Well, of course it was his body. He gave it, sacrificed on our behalf. But what's some of the significance of focusing on the physical body of Jesus. Let me give you two, and you can develop this as well. One, while Jesus walked on the face of the earth, one of the things that he said was, I am the bread of life. That is, he who partakes of me gets real life. You want to really live? You need to know Jesus. Jesus provides life. Physical life and spiritual life. Ultimately, eternal life. So that Paul writes to the believers in the region of Galatia in chapter 2 and verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live, but it's Christ who gives me life. When we see the focus on the body of Christ and think about that aspect, it should remind us of life that we have. Well, let me give you a second thought. When you think of the physical body of Jesus, it reminds us of the incarnation. God became man. God became flesh and dwelt among us. One could say that the incarnation is God's supreme statement that he's for us. The incarnation is God's supreme statement that he's for us. As a matter of fact, that's basically what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2 when he said he had to become like us. Again, listen. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same 
And through death, that through death, he might render powerless whom who had the power of death, that is the devil. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in all that he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. The body of Christ, the incarnation, where God took on human flesh, reminds us that God is for us. He had to be like us so he could be our faithful and merciful high priest. He suffered as we suffer. He experienced sorrow as deep as any grief that you and I experience. He's personally knowledgeable about you and the situation you're facing. He could find no greater expression of his love, no more powerful expression of his love than becoming a man. I become like you so that I can minister to you and before you. The body of Christ reminds us of that. The bread of life the incarnation. This is my body, which is for you. In the same way he took the cup, this cup is the new covenant. Covenants were made to reconcile warring parties. We call them treaties, agreements. It was not uncommon for mankind to ratify those treaties and agreements with blood, not blood that caused death, but a recognition of their own so they would cut on their hand or prick their finger and drop the blood together that the two parties agreed that the wording in this treaty is something that we're going to abide by. God wanted to reconcile us to himself. Our blood wouldn't help. Only his blood would. So God died on our behalf. He shed his blood. And when we take the cup, we are remembering and agreeing with God that we've been redeemed, that we're not our own, that we've been bought with a price, that we are new creatures in Christ, that we have a new master and a new family and that we're connected and that we belong together. So that the action that follows from remembering the body and the blood of Christ is an action of self-examination. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord, but a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he's to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Please note, it is self-examination, not other examination. You're not examining the people around you. You're not saying, boy, I sure hope they're listening to this because they really need to hear this. You're examining your own heart. It's self-examination. And the word examine simply means to test. It means to accept as genuine. So I examine myself to verify that I am in the body of Christ. What am I trusting in as a believer? Am I trusting in Jesus and 
in Jesus plus or am I trusting in Jesus and him alone? That the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ is sufficient to pay for all of my sin. I examine myself. We all need to do that on a regular basis. What am I trusting in for my relationship to God? And then he goes on in verse 29 and he says, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. What's he talking about? What body? Does the body refer to Jesus? Well, it could. That's the context, right? Jesus said, this is my body, which is given for you. So the next time you see the word body, you would think that he's referring to the physical body of Jesus. Well, I'd like to suggest to you that it's that plus what Paul begins to expound in chapter 12, 13, and 14 when he begins to talk about spiritual gifts in the church and the illustration that he uses about all of those is many members in one body. The church, we have now become the physical representation of Christ on the earth. We are his people, redeemed, saved, adopted in his family so that we can represent Jesus to the world in which we live. So to judge the body rightly is to ask myself, do I place the same value on the church that God does? Do I value his bride, the church, with the same estimation that God does? Do I hold it in the highest esteem that God does? Do I discern it correctly? Because if there's strife or division or negative attitudes, then I take the elements in an unworthy manner and the scriptures say, for this reason, many of among you are weak. I think he's referring to spiritual weakness, not making any progress in the Christian life, struggling all the time because we don't esteem the church with the same value that God does. See, the truth of the matter is that when you and I partake of the cup and when you and I partake of the blood, brought the bread, we consciously recognize that what Jesus Christ did on the cross many years ago makes a difference in our lives today. It makes a difference in how I respond to God because I recognize that I come to God on the basis of grace alone and simply because God is gracious. He provided the gift. He gave the invitation. He made sure I heard it. He convinced me of his truth. I simply said, Yes, and took the gift. So let me take just a little bit of a side for a moment. If you're sitting here this morning or listening online and you have never received the gift of life in Christ, this is the best time to do it. To recognize that Jesus Christ, the eternal God, became man, died on the cross to pay the debt that you couldn't pay so that he could rescue you from your enslavement, was raised from the dead because God recognized that payment was sufficient and invites you to have a relationship with him. And you do that by faith. You simply said, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me, for being my savior. I accept you today. Whether you're sitting here in this room or listening online, if you've never come to faith in Christ, today's the day. Because then you can remember. Then you can partake together and say, I really do remember Jesus. 
When God remembered Noah, he acted on his behalf. When God remembered Hannah, he acted on her behalf. When God doesn't remember our sins, he acts on our behalf. And it's just the same. When you and I remember Jesus, we act on his behalf. We worship. We grow in maturity. We care about each other. A good memory creates good worship. A good memory generates maturity. And a good memory helps us to care deeply about one another. A father was speaking to his son, and he was about to send him off into the world to make his own way. And he wanted to give him some really good advice, and here's what he said. When you're out there by yourself, remember who you are and where you came from. Remember what we told you and taught you and showed you. Remember what you learned by watching us over the years. Here's the key phrase. Because a good memory can keep a man out of trouble. You'll eventually discover that every stupid mistake you make happens because you forgot something you should have remembered. So remember to remember and you'll be okay. Remember Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you love us even when we forget you. Increase our memory. Help us to remember you well so that we act on your behalf and live well for you. In Jesus' name, amen.